It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everyone, welcome back to Across the Romanverse. It's Steve here with uh, Jimmy and Brandon. Uh, we're recording on Sunday morning East Coast time, so a little under 24 hours after Roma's 2-0 victory over Empoli at the Olimpico. But uh, of course, guys, we're going to have to talk a little bit about Cremonese too. So how are you feeling today on Sunday? Just, uh, you know, about a day after Roma's victory, but in the grand scheme of things, you know, not everything positive this week in the Romanverse. Yeah, I would say, well, first of all, happy Sunday. Uh, second of all, uh, yeah, it was definitely a very disappointing match. I was working, as we all are, but, you know, I subjected myself to uh, watching the replay after work. And, boy, that was uh, not not fun. And it, make, it, it makes it a lot harder to, uh, to shit on Napoli for their, their loss to Cremonese when we lose like that. Uh, they're still 20th in the league, man, and they lost – they lost two nil in their last league match. Like, have they won a game all they season? They have in the league? not no. won a uh, league match at all this year. Which is wild that they're able to do well in a cup cup setting, but just can't make it happen in a league match. You'd think that there'd be less pressure to win an individual league match versus a, a cup match, but I mean. <laughs> Am I frustrated that Roma won't be getting the tenth their tenth Copa this year? Yeah, but also I think that that was never real, never really treated as a massive priority by the club. The priority is obviously getting Champions League football this year. Um, if that comes through through winning the Europa League, that's great. If it comes through 
through um, getting top four. That's also great. But we, I'll be writing an article in the next couple of days about some of the rumors about who might leave if, if Roma doesn't qualify for Champions League football. But it's clear that they're focusing on that. Um, and for good reason, financially, they need to. Uh, so I'm frustrated by, by the loss, of course. But we do have a bigger fish to fry. Yeah, the so loss is um, frustrating, but I'm not really upset about it, to be honest. I think uh, you guys were probably a little more gung-ho about Roma's chances of actually winning this competition than I was. So the fact that they lost is just uh, another example in yet another year of you know this team really not taking um, you know, just chalking it up to bigger fish to fry, which I think is Mourinho himself has said on numerous occasions, this team isn't equipped to deal with three competitions or, you know, the slightest thing goes wrong and it kind of affects the team from top to bottom. So the fact that they have one less distraction to deal with isn't a big deal. Obviously it's frust frustrating that they lost to Cremonese, who, as you guys said, haven't won in the league yet, but um, they also beat Napoli on the way to the, to the quarterfinals so um you know you could chalk it up to them being a little bit lucky but at the same time if Roma had to face Napoli in the quarterfinals we probably would be in the same position um so it's annoying but it is what it is and hopefully this will uh you know allow us to have a little bit fresher legs towards the tail end of the season so we can actually qualify for the Champions League again yeah, I mean, so frustrating just because when you looked at the, the the big picture in the Copa, it wasn't even like there would be a big team waiting in the semifinals if Roma beat Cremonese. It just seemed like everything was setting up perfectly, at least to make the final. And then hopefully, you know, in a one-off final against a, an Inter or a Juve or whoever it may end up being, uh, you know, Roma could have just taken care of business. We know that Mourinho is a, a great uh, knockout, you know, competition manager and I'm sure he would have had his team ready and, and Roma would have had a really good shot that 10th. Uh, trophy in terms of what Brandon said about the rest sure it's it's two less matches in a, a two-legged semifinal possibly one less match at the end of the season when Roma could be playing you know crucial league matches to secure that fourth spot or a top four spot maybe higher at this point hopefully with the way things are, are starting to break um, but definitely disappointing and and I know Mourinho got a lot of criticism for rotating I think it was five players in the starting 11 but I mean guys we have a, a bench for a reason, right? We don't want to have to run Dybala out there every match. We don't want to have to run Smalling out every match. And Roma really beat itself in the end. The two goals they gave up, one was just an awful giveaway by Kambula. And then the other one was an own goal off Selleck's toe that the shot was probably going wide if he doesn't touch it. And and that's, you know, things like that happen. But the Kambula one, my goodness. I mean, how much can you criticize Mourinho when you you have a bench for a reason? I'm going to just like stop us for one second and say that Rodri Banez has had so many goof ups of equal level that we should not overly criticize Marash Kambula for that mistake. Like I could, I, I have like PTSD related to Rodri Banez making really bad mistakes, costing us goals. Like we talk about him being a fantastic defender and in large part he is. And he was obviously instrumental in one of the goals that Roma got uh, this weekend. But at the same time, every defender has those moments. So I don't want this to turn into a Maharaj Kambola uh, bashing session just because, you know, he's young and you need you basically need to earn your stripes the hard way as a defender to find success. Yeah, for me, I, I didn't mention this in my previous response, but I didn't get a chance to watch the game for the same reasons as Jimmy with work and all that. But um, and 
unlike Jimmy, not not a masochist to to go back and rewatch. <laughs> um, <laughs> but having said that, I, so I, I didn't see the Kambula era to you know to really accurately assess um, the level of blame to give him there. But I think just generally, I agree with Jimmy's point about you know we we've seen multiple defenders this season, including Ibanez, uh, making numerous mistakes that led to a goal. So it's kind of it is what it is on that. Um, but with, you know, with respect to the bench, this, the bench is just not very good. And, um, you know, we can, we can talk about not running Dybala into the ground, but for this team to genuinely have a chance, it seems like Dybala has to play. So, um, and in Mourinho's post-match presser, I think it was, uh, after the game yesterday where he was asked about, and we'll get into that game, but he was asked about, you know, limited playing time for certain individuals. And he cited the fact that this team just isn't able to handle yeah. um, some pieces missing. So, yeah, it's true. You know, you would like to see a little bit more rotation, but at the same time, we're just not, we don't, just don't have that level of depth yet. So um, it'll come hopefully, but it's not going to be this season. And until then we kind of have to do this little balancing act of rotation versus uh, actually getting results. Yeah, it's it's one of those. It's a catch twenty two for him, right? You want to you want to advance in the cup, and if they played Napoli, I'm sure Mourinho runs out his quote unquote best eleven that he has available at the moment. But it was it was a winless Cremonese. They won on penalties against Napoli, right? The only wins they had are in the, the Copa this year. And you figure, you know, we should be able to generate goals without a couple of these guys in the lineup, and they just couldn't do it. Um, and it was very disappointing. Belotti finally got a goal at the end. I mean, you know. <laughs> The Abraham header off the post off the post at two nothing with about I think it was about ten minutes left. It was around the 80th minute. It was wide open. I mean, there was no defender near him. It was just kind of summed up the match I think for Roma because they did have 17 shots, six on target, controlled possession, a couple mistakes, you know, hurt them. But man, if Abraham gets that header, then maybe Belotti still finds that goal and they go to extra time and they win. But yeah, the bench the bench has its limitations. We've we've heard about it plenty this year. Um, you know, when Haldem's closed, when, when Haldem comes back, then your midfield has a little more depth because Matic and Cristante both don't have to start. Um, you know, Lorente was brought in for a reason, I think, to help shore up the back line in terms of depth as well because, you know, not only are you playing three center backs, so an injury puts you in a, in a bad situation there in terms of having any depth. But I think Mourinho wants that veteran-type presence back there who he can rotate in for small. And, you know, if this is two weeks later this match, it might be Lorente starting that match rather than Kumbula. So, Pinto's tried to build up a little bit of depth where he can. Um, but I saw Mourinho was even asked about Solbakken after yesterday's match. And I don't remember the exact quote I saw, but it was something to the effect of he doesn't understand the the tactics of playing in, you know, the the three five two at this point or the three four two one, however you want to refer to it as. And, you know, I can't just bring him in for somebody and not have to change our tactics yet. So he has to learn the tactics. So that's kind of his explanation as why Solbakken hasn't played yet. You know, he said he's talented, but he's, he needs to know the tactics. And in a 2 nothing game, I'd rather shut up shop than bring him in. Um, and he's not going to be able to, you know, know the tactics defensively. So he's working with a lot of limitations in some ways. And he points it out plenty now, you know, in, in his press conference and his comments. So he doesn't let people forget that. Um, I don't know if it's just him being a realist and, you know, or him just kind of protecting himself. I, I, but he does point it out plenty. I mean, I think everyone knows that Mourinho has a penchant for creating quotable moments in uh, interactions with the press. That's been a trademark of his for decades. 
However, I would say that overall, I've been surprised during his time here that he's been pretty tame with most of his remarks, uh, even in the Karsdorp situation and even in the Zaniolo situation. He does seem to have mellowed out quite a bit, and he doesn't, you know, like, he doesn't randomly pick fights with other managers in the league. He doesn't, like, isolate his players and call them, like, not worthy or something like that. Like, in general, he seems to be quite different than my perception of him pre-Roma. And I appreciate that. I would also say that, you know, as much as he does talk about Roma not having very much depth, that's also true. <laughs> like, like, I don't think any of us would deny that. Like, is it exciting to see players like Benjamin Tahirovic or Eduardo Bove or Christian Volpato get minutes? Yes. Like, I, I love, even if we had Manchester City's depth, I would want us to be giving opportunities to young players because when you don't, you set up, you set yourself up to be in a Chelsea-like situation where you send all these great youth academy players abroad. They never really come back or some other big club snaps them up. And then you've got Kevin De Bruyne playing for another side, or you've got Romelu Lukaku playing for another side. You don't want that. And so what I would say is that we don't have the depth um, and we need the depth. Part of me is skeptical that Champions League football will be the panacea that uh, a lot of people think it might be for this side. Uh, part of me does worry about that, that we'll get the Champions League football and it'll turn out that we actually can't invest that much more in the side. But I do think that comparing us to Napoli, comparing us to even either of the Milan clubs, it's obvious that the biggest difference there is that when we go to subs, we just don't have as deep of a side. So I understand why he talks about it. Yeah, and I mean, I think even if you don't think that that qualifying for Champions League isn't going to, uh, you know, be the the catalyst for change that we all are hoping that it will be, at minimum, it allows you to keep Mourinho and Dybala. We've seen reports that their futures with at Roma are kind of tied to that qualification. So at minimum, that's, you know, a huge investment in itself that pays off if you're able to, to keep those two. And um, it extends beyond just uh, Mourinho and Dybala. So it's, it's a pretty huge, um, you know, goal for the club and they're, they're well on their way to doing it. But um, as we've seen time and time again, uh, financial fair play kind of has this uh, club by the, by the scruff of its neck, similarly to uh, Casemiro yesterday, if anybody saw that, but um and so, you know, we're not going to be able to bring in Mbappe, Holland, and anybody else who, who you may fancy. But um, at the same time, it'll be year three of a project under Mourinho and Pinto and the Freakins. And um, I think we can all agree that the qualifying for the Champions League is the ne next natural step in the progression for this club. So, um, Wait, Brandon, not... you're saying that the Auberge Resorts uh, back sponsor isn't going to give us enough money to sign Mbappe? Unfortunately, no, I don't, I don't think so. I'm, I'm still, uh, to be honest, I couldn't even tell you what, what, what the product was. I'm pretty sure it's a resort fact, considering it's yeah, called O'Bear's uh, Resorts. I yeah, think it's see, a series of hotels, see, man. See, I, I've like, glanced, <laughs> I've, I've like glanced at it in the back and I'm like, oh, okay, that's, that's a new sponsor, but I haven't really, um, you know, you know, filed that in my Rolodex of, of sponsors that Roma has just yet, but it's like yeah. the I think it's owned by the Friedkins, so it's like it's it's uh, like the uh, it's like the the, the kitty version of Manchester City basically sponsoring like all these cl big clubs sponsoring themselves. It's like you know 
moving money around a little bit more quietly than uh, just handing yourself a billion dollars. Yeah, yeah, it's the it's it's phase one in the um, the chain of events that leads to Roma having their own shadow, you know, cheap sponsorship similar to Juve. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean. Champions League obviously won't solve all our financial issues because of the financial fair play that, you know, Roma's under the microscope, but I, I do think it helps, right? And what we've seen with the Freakins is they're ambitious as owners. They they want to win. Um, they brought Mourinho here for a reason. Obviously, qualifying will keep him around and keep Dybala around, like Brandon said, which is big. But I do think they invest if we qualify for Champions League. I, I think you'll see another big signing or possibly two. I don't know how much the financial fair play restrictions will have on Roma. But I think you see Fratesi and, and probably another decent name come in. I think if Roma makes the champions league, that, that's my bold prediction because I don't think the freakins go into the champions league and say, Oh, we're going to make another bunch of free eight free agent signings. Unless they're, you know, like a Dybala type. Um, my way too early prediction for that is that the two signings that we make this summer are that if we get champions league football are Davi Fratesi and Karnasecki, who is on loan at Cremonese right now but you know it's an Atalanta proper property and I think that we drop big money on both of them this summer if we make Champions League uh Vicario as impressive as he was uh I just I don't see why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them with Royal Caribbean you don't just go to the beach you visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America you don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Roma wanting, I, I, like, investing in a guy who's a goalkeeper who's already in his mid-20s and has only like topped out at Empoli is a very dangerous game for this team to play if we were going to Champions League football. You see, I don't know, because goalkeepers are funny like that. Goalkeepers have such longevity compared to other positions. Vicario, yes, it was very impressive. I mean, that one triple save he made was was absolutely insane. Um, but he was apparently being monitored by Bayern Munich this this winter, Mercato, and then they ended up going with Jan Sommer uh, to replace the injured Neuer. But he's been very good for Empoli this year. He's, he makes a lot of good saves. I mean, he's got himself into the Italy picture. So I think it depends on Karnasecki's price too. Like how much do you want to drop on a young goalie who's not that experienced if Adelanta, you know, sees that we have some money and they, they to try to get like 25, 30 million from us. I, I think that could be the question too. Like how much Look, do you man, want? Look, man, I want my Donnarumma. Is that too much to ask? I want the guy who's going to, I want some, like I do. Roma's been very lucky to have good goalkeepers during the Chiesa di Totti era in large part. Like, I think that there have been some duds, but they've been replaced rather quickly. Uh, we've had Alisson, we've had Chesney, we've had De Sanctis, we've had, I would put Rui Patricio in that category as well of like the good to great goalkeepers that Roma has had. But we haven't had consistency. And if you look at a lot of the top clubs, 
they have consistency with goalkeepers. And I think we need that to be able to succeed in a long-term sense. And I think the other issue too, I was just going to say on on the goalkeeper quake is that we are afraid the last two years to go to our backup goalkeeper. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Whatever happened to I don't even know how to say his name appropriately. Mile Svilar. Svilar. Yeah, he's played like what yeah, is, he, one, is he one just match like or something? Yeah. Is he still? He's just not riding the pine, right? Like he's not out yeah. on loan anywhere or anything. Yeah. I would say to uh, Jimmy's point about needing to invest big money in a goalkeeper, the the list that you gave, they were all pretty, um, you know, relatively cheap acquisitions. Notwithstanding Olsen, which obviously was the biggest train wreck of the bunch. Um, <laughs> thanks, Monchi, but. Hey, don't um, forget, uh, don't forget, oh, what's his name? The guy who impressed that one World Cup and then we signed him and he sucked. It was the, before that. Uh, Stekellenberg. Remember Stekellenberg? Yeah. Uh, Stekellenberg. Still, yeah. Stekellenberg. Still doing yeah. his thing at Ajax at, what, 37, 38? Yeah. Um, he, was, he was a fun keeper to play with on people back in the day. But to that point, though, I think Rama has been able to bring in plenty of serviceable keepers. Um. For low fees, and I think what you were saying about how all the big clubs have this reliable force and goal, um, I think, I don't know. For me, it, I kind of view it like NFL teams view running backs and that, uh, you know, I, I'd rather have a, a adequate goalkeeper, um, you know, for a low fee, low salary than break the bank um, on one just because there's so, much, so many other position, positions of importance. Uh, that this team needs to address. And I think Rui, Rui Patricio is certainly winding down, but I don't know that I want to spend 20, 30 million on a young-ish uh, goalkeeper. And um, so for me, basically, if it's not like a caliber of like, I don't know, an Onana or somebody like that, then I'm not really comfortable splashing the big cash on it just yet. Uh, if it was like the last piece that Roma were missing, similar to, um, you know, Liverpool with Alisson when they splashed so much money on him, then I could see pulling the trigger. But until then, I'm not, I'd, r- I'd rather keep going that the course that the club has been during the CDT era, which is kind of looking for bargains when you can. And more often than not, it's worked out, especially um, with the quality of goalkeeping coaching that we have. But and, yeah, so until that point, I, I really don't want to spend like 20, 30 million on a keeper. Yeah, I'd be perfectly happy to get Karnaseki if we could get him for the right price. I agree with Jim in the sense that he seems to be, you know, um, have the potential for, to be a very, very good keeper for a long time. I'm just worried about how much Adelanta would try to, like, kind of extort from Roma, especially if Roma makes Champions League and Adelanta is sitting there in, like, the, you know, Europa or Conference League and, and they see an opportunity to make some more money if they're willing to let him go. Um, I just think that... Like to Brandon's point, I, I think NFL running back is a great comparison. Like teams rarely rarely use first round picks on running backs these days because they are kind of the most interchangeable position. It, it's been you know discovered over the past decade or so, and teams figure oh we can invest bigger in the offensive line and other positions that will actually make a running back better, right? Um, so I think uh, you just need that slightly above average keeper to keep you in matches and make the big save when you need it. Um, obviously when you have an Allison, it, it makes the world of difference, but you don't find those kind of guys every day. So it'll be interesting to see. Um, but going back to yesterday's match, Vicario was very good uh, against Roma, made a, a really big save, but Roma, you know, took it to them early. To me, before the match, I just had this feeling of a 2 nothing win. I don't know why. I just felt like that's kind of like the Roma 
score line this year when they play really well because we know we don't that they don't score many goals right and they actually got two goals within six minutes on set pieces and it was kind of incredible because you know we that we don't really score early and often and it was again set pieces two perfect Ibala corner kicks uh Ibanez and Abraham with the goals I mean guys how, how did you feel like the first 10 minutes of this match uh I'll go first so <laughs> I, I was uh as you guys know, I was scheduled to do the highlights for this. And I usually like to grab a coffee from the, the Cuban spot down the street um, before matches. And so it actually wasn't ready until, you know, five minutes in, or, you know, right before the match started. So I went to go get it. And then by the time they got back, Roma had scored twice. And I was like, no effing way that these guys <laughs> scored. <laughs> the one time that I leave, you know, uh, within the first 15 minutes of the match. But um, it's great to see Roma finally score early. Great to see them score multiple goals. Um, and I think at this point, you know, if, if, if Roma gets an early goal, it's probably a pretty good chance that they're going to win the match under Mourinho. So as soon as I came back and I saw we were 2-0 up, it was kind of, you knew it was going to be smooth sailing the rest of the way, relatively speaking. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, I think that we've said this for a while on the Mourinho that the first 10 minutes often dictate the outcome of the game. If the other team scores, it's going to be a miserable game. If we score, it's going to be a pretty good one, make most likely a clean sheet. And uh, if nobody scores, well, hold on to your butts for the entire time because it usually gets a little uh, dicey towards the end. Um, I would say overall that I was impressed with the performance. Uh, this is the kind of thing that you need to do if you want to succeed across multiple competitions. You need to be able to put the – basically like get them in a chokehold early and then not have to overexert yourself for the entire game. We talk about – the lack of depth. We talk about the need for rotation. These are matches where even if there wasn't too much rotation going on in the starting 11, the players weren't having to push themselves to the same extent that they might in a match that is a zero, zero draw for 90 minutes straight. You know, if you're always, if you're hunting for that goal the entire time, it's going to be a lot more taxing on you than if you are able to have a bit of a cushion, not getting lazy, but you know, having a little more comfort with how you need to play. Yeah, I, I think with Roma's defense, when they're up 2 nothing, you just feel pretty good, especially at home against a team like Empoli. And Empoli's been good this year. They're, they're top half of the table right now, so they're not, like, you know, fighting relegation or anything. But when Roma's up two, Matt, two goals at home, they are pretty much unbeatable this season uh, in the league. They've only given up five goals in the league at home. Uh, all of them were one goal to uh, an opponent. Um, of course, a couple of those were one nothing losses to Napoli and, and Lazio and uh, Atalanta, which is, which is always disappointing. But... You know, other than that, Roma doesn't concede at home, which is uh, crazy that their home record's not better. It's just that they don't score a lot of goals either. Um, they've scored more on the road too, which is a, a funny thing. But um, Patricio's clean sheet percentage is now fourth best in the league. He's, he's got 38% of his starts are clean sheets in the league, which is pretty good. So the defense continues to be solid. You know, Roma got those two goals. I mean, set pieces are just deadly. And Brandon pointed out in his, you know, three things he noticed in, in the match piece that published this morning on the site. Roma's now, um, I think, is nine set-piece goals and off-corner kicks, they're deadly, right? Especially when balls whipping in crosses like that. Pellegrini can do the same oftentimes. And, um, you know, the the big center backs and Tammy are, are you know, trees in there. So is Cristante, Matic. So there's so many big guys. And we saw it against Milan. That's how Roma got back in that match. They did it again yesterday. I mean, if you're Roma... Anytime you could draw a foul or get a corner kick, heck, you're in, you're in a good position. 
Yeah, and uh, so for for that statistic that you referenced, I got that from who scored, and uh, they had said that those nine set piece goals were uh, accounted for thirty percent of Roma's total total goals scored for the season. the The percentages were a little wonky because the total added up to one hundred and one percent. So I'm not sure where that one came from, but uh, that extra one came from. But in any case, you know, it's hovering right around thirty percent. You could you, you would at least be able to say, and that's. That's an insane statistic, but I think also aside from the confidence that it gives to the team when they do line up for a set piece, the the fear that it instills in the opponent when, you know, you got to be on your game. Otherwise, Roma is going to score from this set piece, and I think that's a huge weapon, um, especially late in games, either when you're trying to, you know, just kill off the game or you're chasing a goal. When you have that weapon available to you, that can completely shift um, – you know the how how the match is shaping up. I think that's that's just an invaluable tool. So credit to them for um, working at this to the point that it's now such a such, such a weapon. And um, obviously the ball is a huge part of that. Pellegrini has been stepping up his game in terms of his delivery. And then when you have three center backs and just generally a tall team such as Roma, that's kind of going to be uh, your bread and butter when you have when you have all those players at your disposal. Guys, make a wish. Brandon said something positive about Pellegrini. <laughs> <laughs> and it'll never happen again. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, Feel, feeling good no, after but I agree that with everything Brandon. I agree with everything Brandon was saying. Um, it's not not a, not a shock that when you add a guy like Paolo Dybala to your team that you suddenly get a little bit better at set pieces. Um, and it's also not a shock that Lorenzo Pellegrini, you know, he's been pretty good at them for a while now. And I would say that the, those two – Plus the general height this team has, especially against Empoli. Man, Empoli was a short side. Um, it does help a lot. And I would say that, again, th- are there frustrating elements of watching this team on a week-in, week-out basis? A hundred percent. I once compared, yeah, uh, it's watching Roma can sometimes feel like how I imagine my friends who are Mets fans feel about watching the New York Mets like so close and there's so many things that are going right. And like, you feel like there's a positive vibe, but you just haven't gotten there yet. And there's another club that has all the success that you think your club should have. Um, That's how I feel about Juventus. But but anyway, uh, I would say that if Roma wants to be able to succeed in a long-term sense, having good set piece mentality is really important because especially in Serie A where defenses can play so compactly and just park the bus to a level that's not really seen in most other leagues in Europe, you got to be able to take what chances you can. Yeah. And just going back to Dybala. So I was just pulling up his his stats because now he's got seven goals and six assists. That's, you know, 13 goal contributions in just over, uh, just under 1100 minutes played. It equates to just over 12 full nineties. And that's in 14 starts, 15 matches in the league. He is averaging 1.07 goals plus assists per 90. And we know how good he's been in his career at Juve and Palermo. This is now the highest rate per 90 of his goals plus assists. Uh, The next highest was his first year at Juve at 1.03. Obviously, he played a lot more minutes early in his career. I mean, Palermo, his last season there, he played almost 3,000 minutes. And we know the, the injuries have limited his time, but this is a per 90 number. So it's not like a raw number. So minutes affected in terms of like sheer number. And that that's impressive. I mean, 
he is the the straw that stirs Roma's drink. There's no question about it. We've seen the Atalanta match, how much they missed him and other matches. And he just continues to get it done uh, for, for uh, I think goal scoring, like chances created yesterday, two of them obviously on the set pieces. He had a couple others they delivered in that were pretty nice that Roma probably could have gotten another set piece early on. So he just continues to impress. I mean, when he got that, that knock late in the second, uh, first half, you were kind of like, Oh, I hope that's nothing. And it, it wasn't really anything. Um, so this all makes it even more insane that he didn't play more in the world cup. Jesus Christ. Yeah. Why weren't you playing him more? <laughs> Sorry that I will like, <laughs> they, they did win though. So it, it, okay, yeah, yes. Yeah. Okay. Yes. That is a hundred percent true, but they did win and winning cures everything. Don't get me wrong, but you have to, I, I personally think that if that penalty had those penalties had gone a different way that we, all we would be talking about would be, why the hell didn't Dybala get actual minutes during this World Cup? And that's my, I mean, I take this from the perspective of someone who really fell in love with football through the 2006 World Cup. <laughs> Francesco Totti had like basically a plate in his leg and still was able to power the team to the World Cup, to the final. Like there are players of a certain ability who I think demand a spot on this in the starting 11. And I feel like Paolo Dybala has been demonstrating at Roma and, you know, throughout his entire career that he deserves to be there. Sorry, that was a that was a sideways <laughs> rant. Um, but, you know, <laughs> I do feel that way. <laughs> I think it all goes back to Messi. <laughs> that, to, uh, to yeah. Simply sum it up. Um, but impressive again from Roma. And, and, and a, a win that is in the standings very important because we said this is a stretch of five or six matches in the league where Roma could possibly take maximum points in all of them and really put themselves in a good position even after that Napoli loss. Um, the updated standings now, Inter and Milan will play this afternoon. Um, Lazio is still to play tomorrow. But Adelante dropped points yesterday very unexpectedly at Sassuolo, one nothing. Very unlike them. They, they did get a red card about 30 minutes in, which kind of limited what they could do. Excuse me, but right now, um, match in hand for Inter, they're on 40 points. Roma also on 40. Lazio's on 38. Milan's on 38. And Atalanta's on 38. So uh, Roma and Atalanta have played 21 matches. The other three have played 20. In the Milan Derby, at least one of those teams will drop points. So Roma will either stay level with Inter or, you know, stay ahead of Milan. (laughs) A draw puts Inter one ahead. A, A win puts Inter three ahead, but it also leaves Milan two points back. And then you know, Lazio is has a chance to, to jump Roma, but no matter what, they will finish um, this weekend at least joint fourth place with Inter at the very worst if Milan and Lazio both win. So looking pretty solid. Trip to Lecce next weekend. What are you guys expecting with that match uh, on Saturday and then followed by that Salzburg match uh, on the Thursday? Do you think we see any rotation? Do you think Mourinho with the week off kind of just goes forward with both matches with his best 11 and says, screw it, we got to do what we got to do? I think he does the latter, um, especially with the Copa gone. I think that he's going to want to at least get relatively deep in the Europa League. I think that Lecce, my ideal for Lecce is that we were able to do the same exact thing we did against Empoli, which is score quickly and then not run our players into the ground. I think that's feasible. Um, and then, you know, I would say that out of the two matches, Salzburg is the priority and They've had a lot of good players over the years, but I hope that we're able to do something similar to my prescription for Lecce against Salzburg. Because let's be real, if Roma's going to be winning the Europa League, they should be able to handle Salzburg. Yeah, I think it'll be two two wins. Um, 
you know, pretty, pretty comfortable affairs. Well, actually, I won't say that for the Salzburg. That's that's pretty presumptuous. First one's away. I, yeah, yeah. But I think uh, before we came on, I saw comments from Mourinho. I don't know if they were given yesterday or this morning, but basically was saying, you know, this team can do something special, as I've been, as Mourinho saying this, as I've been telling you guys, this team can do something special uh, if we have, you know, one game a week. And so with that being the case for the Salzburg, and I'm sure they have a league game in the weekend. I haven't looked, but um in terms of preparation at least given that this is the first leg of the Europa League tie that's going to be your priority even if you do have a, a match on the weekend so I think with Lecce early Saturday game again um I would expect another result similarly to Empoli and then Thursday when they face Salzburg I think they've had another uh like five days to prepare so um I think they'll come out really well I don't expect any rotation whatsoever uh, provided everybody's healthy, but I also think we'll come out of that with two wins. I agree. I think if there's any rotation, it comes after the Salzburg match because it's a Thursday-Sunday turnaround for Hellas, who's in the relegation fight. So maybe that's where you see one or two or three changes and then rest guys for the second Salzburg match, depending on how the first goes. But I agree. I think with a week off before Lecce, uh, we see everybody. In it. And with five days, that's almost a full week off before the Salzburg first leg on the road. I think, you know, if Roma could get a road result, it would, it would go a long way. And you know, after that, then, like I said, it's Hellas at home, Salzburg at home, Cremonese away. Roma should be very fired up for that Cremonese match now. I mean, I'd, if Roma's going to yeah. score some goals, that might be the match where they finally score some goals because they, they might be uh, extra motivated. I think Marino really might give it to them before that match. No, that's the that's the game Felix breaks our hearts. <laughs> yeah. But that stretch uh-huh. of matches, you know, uh, Europa League aside, those three league matches could be – if all goes according to plan, nine points for Roma ahead of Juve on March 5th at the Olympico. So I, I like the chances for the top four right now. I really do. Yeah, I mean, I feel like that's kind of how I felt last week as well. Um, but Tom feeling at this point in the season, it would take – this is the advantage of the league being so tight this year, um, that Roma had a rather underwhelming first half of the season. but And there were injuries issues, of course, but Roma was able to – stay in the hunt, and if they're able to put the uh, pedal to the metal and keep up the pressure, I could see them being in third or even second, let's be honest. Napoli's got first, but yes. beyond that, like it's it's tight enough between second and seventh that I, I feel pretty confident about Roma being able to get one of those spots. So as much as we're going to worry about, oh, who might leave if Roma doesn't get Champions League football, it also feels entirely within reach. So that's that's a good sign. Yeah, I feel pretty good about Roma's chances to qualify for top four. I think we're kind of getting to the point uh, where I feel similarly before games that I did uh, during this Paletti 2.0 era, where basically if it wasn't a top six matchup, I felt pretty good about Roma's chances to win. I think obviously the quality of this team is not at the level of that team yet. Um, but I'm, I'm starting to get the point where I, I really trust the team and Mourinho to, to get the job done if they're not facing superior opposition. So, um, and I think that's basically the minimum uh, threshold that you need to meet to qualify for the champions league. So uh, with that being the case, they're going to be right around the top four for the remainder of the season, barring a huge collapse. So I, and I think with uh, February schedule being the way it is it's a great opportunity for Roma to really uh solidify their hold on a top four spot Agreed, and I think yeah, I mean, end, oh go yeah, ahead but 
no, I was going to say by the end of the month, that's that's certainly, I think, what we'll be talking about. Yeah, that, against like those bot or anything outside the top six, the only drop results I can think of are Sassuolo and Torino 1-1 draws right before the World Cup. So looking solid. Um, we'll hope for, well, obviously someone's going to drop points in the Milan Derby today. Hopefully maybe Lazio slips up tomorrow against Hellas. That would be a, a nice little treat. But um, guys, we'll be back next week, hopefully talking about a Lecce win and prepping for a win against Lecce, I should, I should word it, and prepping for Salzburg. So plenty of good stuff on the site. Um, Jimmy's got Sinners and Saints coming out probably later today or into tomorrow. Plenty of coverage coming up for Lecce and uh, keep an eye out for the other piece that he referenced earlier. And we thank you for listening.